you take your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to Psalm 72. Psalm 72, we've been this month going through a series called Christmas in the Psalms, and we've been looking at various what we might call messianic psalms, psalms that point us forward to the Messiah, but ultimately, of course, they point us to Jesus. And it's one of the things that I I want us to make sure we understand is that because the entire Bible is about Jesus, we can get to Jesus about uh, from any part of the Bible, and the entire Bible is ultimately about Christmas. It's about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among His people. And, and these songs that God's people sang, have sung for three millennia, many of them point forward to Jesus. And so we've looked at Psalm 2 and, and the Lord establishing His anointed on, on Zion's hill, this one who is not just a son in the line of David, but, but God's son. We looked at Psalm 45, how this, this, this King, this Messiah is completely beautiful completely desirable, and yet he comes to win and woo you to be his bride. We looked last time at Psalm 110 and how this king, who is a forever king, is also a forever priest. And because he is both king and priest, he's able to meet all of our needs. He's able to save us to the uttermost. This morning, though, one of my favorite psalms, uh, I can finish uh, my church history classes that I teach year by year for RTS, and we read Psalm 72 to remind ourselves of what the king is doing. Psalm 72 tells us that Christ is Lord of all. And so this morning, it's a fitting song to, to study as we come on this Christmas Eve morning. But before we turn our attention to this portion of God's word, let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we delight to come once again to your word, but we confess that we are utterly unable, apart from divine enablement, to understand and apply this this gospel. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come, that you would open our eyes of faith this morning, that we might see glorious riches in this portion of the gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon throughout all generations, may he be like rain that falls on the moon grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor, and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba 
be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land and on the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's an interesting fact that the most published Christmas song in the 20th century was not actually written as a Christmas song. Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World as a setting of Psalm 98. He wrote it around 1719 as part of his project to rewrite the Psalms in such a way that they might be more singable, but also that they might focus more intentionally on, on the one who fulfills so many of those psalms, Jesus Christ. Uh, about a century after Watts wrote the text, someone, we're not sure her who, uh, was it Lowell Mason, the great tune writer? Was it someone else? We, we don't know. Uh, but, but someone took a tune from Handel's Messiah, and matched it up with the words that we know as Joy to the World. And the result was a song that has become a Christmas time staple. But why? Why do we sing Joy to the World at Christmas time? After all, there's nothing in that song about angels or shepherds, about Mary or Magi, nothing there about cold winter nights or cool receptions at the inn. Why is it a Christmas song? I think it's because it gets us to right to the heart of what the angels were saying, what they were singing to the shepherds when they, they told them the good news that, that in the city of David is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That song tells us the King has come. Let earth receive him. The Savior reigns. Let, let the world and all creation rejoice. That the kingdom is here. Receive the blessings as far as the curse is found. The king rules now. The nations are submitting to Jesus. And so rejoice. Rejoice. Christ is Lord at all. That, that, that is the gospel after all. Christ is Lord of all. Not, not simply that Jesus came to die for sins. Or to be sure, that's extremely important. As Jay Gresson Machen said, there's no hope without it. But the gospel is more than simply Jesus giving you life insurance, life beyond death. No, the gospel, the good news is that the king has come and he's coming again. And his kingdom is established and will come to fullness. And all that Psalm 72 holds out to us will be fully and finally realized. All our hopes and dreams for a world made new and a people made new for holiness and justice, for righteousness and peace, they will all come true. In fact, they're coming true now. Well, we, don't, we don't quite see it. Our, our news is dominated by, by so much that happens that's negative in our own lives, in our city, our state, our world. 
We're so aware of, of wars raging, not just in, in the Gaza Strip or in Ukraine, but, but 28 other conflicts that are going on globally right now. Our, our, our vision is filled with those things. But if we had eyes to see what's happening in, in Asia and Africa and South America, what's, what's happening even in, in places that are harder ground, like, like Scotland, like Ukraine, like Poland. If we had eyes to see it, we would know that, that hundreds upon hundreds are coming to Christ. They're submitting to him. Their lives are being transformed. They're, they're at work rooting out evil in those places. But there will come a final day, my friends, when, when all that Psalm 72 will come fully and finally true. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And that's what we mean when we sing glory to the newborn king. That's what we mean when we, we declare joy to the world. And that's why Herod wanted to kill Jesus. That's why Herod slaughtered the innocents. All the baby boys, two years and younger in the region of, of Bethlehem. That's why Caesar, through Pilate, put Jesus to death. Why the Jewish leaders wanted him dead. Why every petty dictator, from, from Caesar to Castro, from Herod to Hitler, they tried to prevent this gospel from being preached. It's because Jesus is Lord of all. It's because he's come to rule and to make our world new that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. That's good news this morning. So let's think a little bit about how it is that Christ is Lord by asking four simple questions. And the first is this, how will Jesus rule? If Christ is Lord of all, according to Psalm 72, how will he rule? Well, the, the clear answer we're given is that Jesus will rule with justice and righteousness. You see it in the first four verses of the song. Give the king your justice, O God, your, your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. And so how will he rule? Well, by way of justice and righteousness. Ultimately, justice and righteousness come from God himself. He gives or endows this king with these attributes. And then the king exercises them. But this pairing of justice and righteousness, it's important. Three times in three verses, righteousness is used. Twice the word justice shows up. Together, justice and righteousness speak to the character of the king's rule. He will defend the cause of the poor. He will give deliverance to the needy. He will crush the oppressor. Justice and righteousness, in other words, cares for those on the margins. Those who suffer trouble of all kinds, whether unfair court practices or usurious interest rates or malicious shaming or persecution or beatings, these are the ones for whom this king cares. And because the king rules this way, that the land bears prosperity for the people. That word prosperity, that's there in verse 3. It's our word shalom. That, that wonderful word that we, we summarize as peace, but is so much more. Shalom is wholeness and well-being. And so the land bears 
wholeness. The land bears well-being. Things are, in other words, the way they ought to be. The king takes care of his own, and the very creation responds to such righteous rule. With a king like this, is, is it any wonder that fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy? The Savior reigns with righteousness and justice. He's Lord of all. That's, that's how he reigns. But how long will he reign? How long will this king rule? Is it possible, as no matter which side of the political aisle, you, you've experienced the reality of having your president followed by someone who's not your president. And you're, you're convinced that the next guy or next woman is going to mess everything up. Could that happen to this king? Is it possible that someone might follow him who comes in and messes everything up? No. Why? Well, because this king will rule forever. He'll rule forever. Verse 5, may they fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon throughout all generations, may he be like rain that falls on the moon grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. In other words, as long as the sun endures, as long as the moon exists throughout all generations, that's how long this king will rule. He'll rule, as the hymn writer put it, until moon shall wax and wane no more. And what happens as a result? Well, he's like rain that falls on moon grass, like showers that water the earth, verse 6 tells us. Now think about how necessary rain is for us. Our friends in North Mississippi and East Arkansas have been going through a tremendous drought. And those farmers know that you've got to have not just rain, but you have to have rain at the right time, just the, the right season, not too much, not too little, in order for the, for the land to produce an abundant harvest. If that's the case for our region, think about how significant the rain is in an arid region like the Middle East, like Palestine. How blessed it is for those farmers, those shepherds, to get just the right amount of rain at just the right time but what happens as a result? The fields flourish, the animals grow, the farmers are prosperous, the landowners rejoice when the rain comes. And that's exactly the result of this king's rule. He is such an unmitigated blessing to God's people, sustaining them, refreshing them for all time that prosperity and wholeness is the result. The world will bring forth all that it was made to do forever and ever because there will be no more sins, no more sorrows growing, no more thorns or thistles there. That ground shall bear what it ought to bear because he's come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. This king, the king who is the Lord of all, he rules forever and ever. But where does he rule? It's the third question. Is this a Davidic king, a king in the line of David who merely rules over the Middle East in the, in the region that we call Palestine from, from the river, from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea? Is this psalm simply picturing Solomon, the author of it? Um, this one who was known as the Prince of Peace, who actually extended the borders of Israel that far. 
Israel reached its height of, of territory dominance under the reign of Solomon in the mid-10th century BC. That they were able to rule from the Euphrates uh, through Jordan to the Euphrates to the, the Mediterranean Sea down towards the Arabian Peninsula. Is, is that what this is picturing here? Does the king rule simply 200 miles of dirt? No. No, this king rules the world. Verse 8, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and, and his kings lick the or his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. When I was a kid growing up in Texas and Jersey, we had all kinds of songs, patriotic songs that we sang. And one of the songs we sang was about America. America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. That may or may not be true about our country, but, but it's absolutely true about this king. What the psalmist tells us here is this king has dominion from sea to sea. He rules from the Euphrates River, not just to the Mediterranean Sea, like Solomon did, but he reigns to the end of the earth. He rules over the entire world. But in case we miss that the breadth of this king's rule, that this king, this, this, this Christ who's Lord of all, rules the world, the psalmist gives us a compass. He points in the different directions of the compass to tell us the extent of the king's rule. The desert tribes inherit the, they, they inhabit the eastern regions, so towards modern-day Jordan and beyond. The Tarshish mentioned here, the coastlands, is the, the western point of the known world, as far as the, the, sh the traders, the, the shipbuilders and shipmasters of the Mediterranean Sea would go, would be to modern-day Spain, to Tarshish, Sheba and Seba, um, southern points. Sheba, likely Cush in Central Africa. Seba, likely the Southern Arabian Peninsula. And so what is the psalmist telling us? Whether you go to the north or the south or the east or the west and you extend those points of the compass as far as they can go, this king rules there. And all the nations serve him. All the peoples, all the language, this king's people will be a multiracial, multinational, multicultural people. And they will all bow the knee and they will all give him glory. And they will all confess him and confess his glory to prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And so consider thus far, this Messiah, this Christ, this anointed one, he's Lord of all. He rules with justice and righteousness bringing shalom. He rules forever and ever. No one will succeed him. Uh, he brings refreshment to the peoples. He rules over all things and all peoples so that all nations will serve him. But what's the result of his rule? Well, verses 12 to 17 describe those results. We describe what happens when he rules, but to put it all in context, look first at verse 17. You see it? Verse 17, may his name endure forever. 
his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, and all nations call him blessed. Now, in order to get why that's important, you've got to cast your mind back to one of the most important promises in all the Bible. The promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. There God said, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So the promise to Abraham, great nation, great name, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, what do we have here in this psalm? And especially as it, it gets to verse 17, he gains a great name. May, may his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. He has a great name. He has a great nation. In fact, his nation is not limited to one nation. It encompasses all the peoples of the earth. And all the peoples are blessed in him. May people be blessed in him. And in response to that blessing, what's the result? The people bless him in turn. Now, what's that? Why is that, why is that important? It's the fulfillment. It's the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham to, uh, millennia ago. That, that Abraham would have a great name and be a great nation. Through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And what the psalmist is saying is this king to come. He will fulfill the promises to Abraham. Now, when you get to the Christmas story and you get to the very first verse of the Gospel of Matthew, what do you find? Well, you find a genealogy, but it's the genealogy of who? Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. That's what Matthew 1.1 says. And that is a signal for anyone who pays attention to the Gospel story as it begins in, in Matthew's Gospel that that God had kept his promises to Abraham through whom? Jesus. Jesus is the one who fulfills this promise. Jesus is the one who has a great name, the name by which we are saved, the name by which, the only name by which we are able to be saved. He has a great name, famous throughout the world. Though John Lennon tried to be more famous than Jesus, Jesus is more famous still, a great nation. So that all the peoples have come under Jesus. There's not a place in this world where the languages are not used to praise this king. And through Jesus, all the families of the earth are blessed. And he, in turn, receives our blessing, our praise. And so, how does he do this? How does Jesus bring these things to bear upon us? How, do, how does he bless us so that we might, in turn, bless him? Well, he blesses us through deliverance. But look at verse 12. For he delivers the needy when he calls. The poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. So what does the psalmist say? He delivers the needy. He delivers the poor. He delivers those who need a helper. He delivers the weak, the oppressed, the victim. He rescues, redeems, and saves. These are things that God alone can do. But why does this king do it? Why does this king deliver those who are helpless and hopeless? 
who are weak and wounded, sick and sore. Why? The psalmist tells us, precious is their blood in his sight. In other words, the king does this because he loves. He loves. He loves the needy. He loves the poor. He loves those without a helper. He loves the weak. He loves the oppressed. He loves the victim, which means he loves you. He loves you. You are precious to him. He cares about you. You aren't simply a nameless, faceless cog in the machine. Rather, he knows you and he calls you by name. And he does this to deliver you and to redeem you, to save you. It's no wonder he has a great name, this Jesus. It's no wonder that this king is famous as a one who brings blessing because he delivers. But he also brings abundance. Verse 15 says, long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May, may there be abundance of grain in the land and the tops of the mountains may it wave. May his fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in the city like the grass of the field. Gold is given. Fruit is abundant. It's large, plentiful, but far more importantly, people blossom. People blossom in, in the city like grass. They're like wildflowers, except they last. They're, they're beautiful and variegated, different yet glorious. This is a place, and these are a people that produce far beyond imagination. This is a picture of the new heavens and the new earth, where abundance is known and blessing is felt. It's, this, it's a land of hope and dreams, where, where dreams will not be thwarted, and faith will be rewarded, and where tears and sorrows are no more. No wonder he's blessed. This king bestows his blessings of deliverance and abundance so that we might know his joy. That's how the psalm ends. Verse 18. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. In verse 17, the name of this king is blessed and endures forever. But in verse 19, Yahweh, um, his name is the one that is blessed and endures forever. And so God's people bless the Lord, and the Lord in turn blesses them. How? By allowing them to be filled with his glory. To allow his glory to penetrate every part of us. All of us and each of us thoroughly to have glory flowing through us, reflected in our faces to one another and reflected ultimately back to the one who is the glory giver. And when we are filled with the glory of the Lord and the world is reflecting the glory of the Lord, my friends, the end of it all will be joy, great joy, abundant, overflowing, overwhelming joy. Which brings us back full circle this morning. Back to Isaac Watts and his song, Joy to the World. We're going to sing it here in a minute. But reflect on why there is joy to the world, joy to the earth. It's why, why, reflect on why we sing it now, on Christmas Eve. 
we sing it, my friends, because the king has come and he is coming again. His name is Jesus and he rules with justice and righteousness and he will do so forever. We sing it with great and glorious joy because Jesus sees you and me as precious. Such are the wonders of his love that fills us with light and joy fills us with his very spirit. We sing, my friends, because all creation and all peoples from all nations are declaring on this day that Jesus Christ is worthy. And so it's right for us to sing because he is great and he is glorious and he is good and he, Jesus Christ, is Lord of all. Praise be to him. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we come this day to worship and adore you. On this, the, the eve of a, of a great time of feasting and festival, not just with our families as we enjoy them, as glorious as that is, but to sing your praise and to rejoice in your grace and to, to declare to the nations that what is true is, is going to be fully and finally, finally realized one day, that you are Lord of all. And so we do sing this morning with great joy. Receive then the praises of your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.